0: We are done with the book of Ecclesiastes, so we made it through. Um, Give yourselves a hand. This was a dark book. Uh, We did it, yes. And, uh, you know, it it is a dark book, and it's a hard book to get through. Um, Some weeks are kind of depressing, but I really believe that this is one of the most important books. Um, One of the most important books for our cultural moment, uh, where we are as a culture right now. And so, uh, you know, for, I, was, I, was, I, I watched a video uh, this past week, and it was, uh, it was a conversation between two scholars. It was uh, at Harvard University. And uh, one scholar was a Bible scholar. His name was N.T. Wright. And uh, the other scholar was a philosopher, a secular philosopher. And the conversation, it wasn't a debate, it was a conversation they were having around the Bible. And people knew why N.T. Wright wanted to have a conversation about the Bible. He was a Bible scholar, like he was a theologian, a pastor. But at one point during the conversation, they looked to, uh, the, the guy's name was uh, Sean Kelly, and they asked him, they said, why, why are you interested in a conversation about Scripture? You know, you're a secular philosopher, why, why are you interested in a conversation like this? And w- the way he responded, I think, was so, so telling about the cultural uh, culture that we live in right now. He says that, he says, I believe that, that in our uh, Western context, we are facing a peculiar threat, he said. A peculiar threat. And he said, this threat was named by Soren Kierkegaard as the leveling of all meaningful difference. He said, Frederick Nietzsche called it nihilism. And he says, we we are coming to a place as a culture where there's going to be a death of all meaning. Nothing is significant anymore. Nothing matters anymore. Right? There's no transcendence. We live in a secular age. And so many of us ratchet around life doing this, doing that, living, uh, you know, our daily existence out. And yet we're lacking meaning and purpose. Now, somebody says, uh, you know, Sean Kelly, he's a philosopher. Of course, he's going to say that the greatest threat to our culture today is nihilism. You know, what about global warming? What about nuclear holocaust? What about, you know, terrorism, the threat of terrorism? But I think he's getting at something here. And it's not just a philosophical threat. I think this is a threat that so many of us face personally on a very personal um, feeling, visceral sort of level. A few years ago, there was a book called The Purpose Driven Life, and it was written by a very famous pastor named Rick Warren, and uh, this, it was a very simple book. It was just about purpose and meaning in life, a very basic book, and I was shocked to learn that it sold millions of copies, like it was on the bestseller list, and everybody wanted this book, both Christian and secular. Everybody was buying it. Why? It's because there is a, a personal need that so many of us feel for meaning, People, there's a visceral uh, longing, a hunger that so many of us have to find purpose and meaning in this life. And for many of us, we, we kind of, you know, we feel that lack of meaning. We feel that, you know, almost it, this, there's got to be more, there's got to be more, but we push it back. We push it to the side, and, and we almost sort of become numb to it, you know? Uh, at the very beginning of the series, I mentioned a song that I used to listen to by Pink Floyd called Comfortably Numb. And at one point in the song, he says, I have become comfortably numb. And I think he was on LSD, probably, uh, when he sang those lines, but I think it's true for just about all of us, not the LSD part. But we're, we're comfortably numb. We ratchet around life, doing this, doing that, going to work, watching Netflix, without ever asking, why am I here? What's the meaning of it all? What is the purpose of this life? And so, uh, Sean Kelly says, there's a crisis in our culture. It's a crisis of meaning. Nothing matters anymore. And so, and so we've got the book of Ecclesiastes, which in some ways is a very, very modern book because this is the question that he's addressing. And he doesn't call it nihilism like Sean Kelly does. Uh, the, the author of Ecclesiastes calls this vanity, right? The, the very first lines in the book, the very last lines in the book, he, he, he gives a verdict on this life and he says, all everything in this life is vanity. And it's the, it's the Hebrew word hevel. Some translators uh, translate uh, meaningless, all is meaningless, all is vanity, nothing matters. But literally, it's the word vapor. And he's saying he says, this life, without respect to God, is like vapor. He said, it looks solid, but when you try to grab a hold of it, there's nothing there. And he goes through everything in this life. He, he talks about our careers, and he talks about pleasure, the, the pursuit of pleasure and the pursuit of knowledge even. Um, Career achievement, he goes through all of it, and he says, if you're living in this life without respect to God, he said, it's like breath. It's like vapor. It looks solid, but there's nothing there. This life is meaningless. 38 times, he says, meaningless, meaningless. It's all utterly meaningless, now, somebody might say, well, great, you spent uh, you know, 11 and a half chapters telling us how to live a meaningless life, right? Thank you very much, uh, Kohelet, who's the author of Ecclesiastes. It is a rather depressing book, but at the very end, he gives us hope. In this very last section, he points us forward and he says, this is how you live a life of purpose. Right, he spends uh, 11 and a half chapters saying, This is how you li- live a life of vanity, of cotton candy, a life that melts in your mouth. The very last few verses, he says, This is how you live a life of substance. This is how you live a life of purpose and meaning. This is how you live a life of significance. And so let's get into it. Here's the hope at the end of the book. He says, but besides being wise, this is verse nine, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote the words of truth. So he says, I'm telling you the truth in this book. It's a dark truth, it's a heavy truth, but it is truth nonetheless. And then in verse 11, he says, and the words of the wise are like goads, And like nails firmly fixed to the collected sayings, they are given by one shepherd. In other words, he's saying that these words, the words of my book, they're like a staff of a shepherd. And at the end of it is a point, is a goad. And it might hurt when it pricks you. My words are hurtful and they're painful, but they're meant to point you in the right direction. I'm like a shepherd. This is what I'm doing. And I want to point you towards meaning. I want to point you towards a life of purpose. And Then he goes on and he tells us how a life of pur- purpose can be lived in verse 13. He says, this is the end of the matter. Here's the conclusion. Here's the point. All has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. In these verses, they're very famous verses, he gives three imperatives. He tells us to do three things. And he says, these three things are the way into a life of meaning and purpose. Right? You don't want to live a life of cotton candy and of vanity and vapor. He says, you want to live a life of purpose and meaning and direction. And these three three things, these three things I want you to do will help you live into that life. We're going to look at him today. He says, This is the end of the matter. He says, All has been heard. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for he will one day bring every deed into judgment. The first imperative, the first thing he wants us to do to live a meaningful life, here it is. He says, You begin by fearing God. Fear God, he says. What does it mean to fear God? Well, Uh, It doesn't mean that we are afraid of God, right? It doesn't mean that that you walk around being afraid of God all the time. It it means that that you make God your ultimate concern. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means that you make God your ultimate concern in this life. The, The way to live a life of meaning and purpose is to put God at the center of it. And there's a reason why it's called fear, you know, f- fearing the Lord, because, you know, think about it. The, the, there are things in this life that we naturally put at the center, right? And usually they are the things that all of our fear and anxiety is around, right? H- human beings, here's something true about us. We, we, are, we, we need to worship. We need to put something at the center of our lives. And whatever it is that you have put at the center of your life, there is going to be all sorts of fear and anxiety around that thing. And so maybe it's money. Maybe you've put money at the center of your life. And, and the, the thing that gives you anxiety then is going to be money. Money is going to keep you up at night, right? Or maybe it's a career success, you know, and you've put career success at the center of your life, right? That's, career success is going to keep you up at night. All of your fear is going to be around that particular thing. Or maybe it's your kids. You've put your kids in a place of ultimate concern all of your fear and anxiety is gonna be around that thing. Whatever you fear, that is the thing in your life that you've made your ultimate concern, right? Our lives are like the solar system, right? Something We're gonna orbit around something in this life. You are. What is it for you? What, what, what is it really? You might say, oh, it's God, but, but what is the thing that you really fear? What is the thing that's at the center of your solar system? What is your life orbiting around? What Kohelis says, he says, unless that thing is God, you will not live a life of meaning. Or to put it positively, the only way to live a life of meaning and purpose is to put God at the very center of your life. All of your life needs to orbit around him. Now, here's the thing that we do. Uh, so often, we, we sideline God. God is there, you know, he's, he's out there, but he's not the thing that our life is orbiting around. Our life is orbiting around maybe money. And so what we do is we relate to God in a mercenary fashion. And we go to God and we say, God, um, please, please give me more money. And what we're doing is we're, we're asking God to give us what we're really worshiping. We're using God to get what we worship. Right? Oh, God, give me her. That's what I want. I want her. Oh, would you please give me her? We're begging God to give us our object of ultimate concern. And what God says is, I want to be the object of your ultimate concern. But so often we worship God's gifts and we use God to get them. And so Koheleth throughout the book, he's saying, look, here's what I want you. This is the way I want you to look. Here's the way to meaning. Here's the way to a life of meaning. Listen, there are all sorts of things in this life to enjoy. Enjoy your kids. Oh, your kids are so cute and they're so funny. Enjoy them, enjoy them, but don't worship them. Don't make them your object of ultimate concern. Money's great, enjoy the money. Money, I wish I I had more of it. (laughs) Enjoy money, but, but, but make money of relative value. Don't make money your ultimate concern. Enjoy it, don't worship it. Career success is wonderful, and it's of relative value, but as soon as you make career success your object of ultimate concern, he says, that is vanity. Then you begin to feel empty. The only way to live a life of meaning and purpose and joy and fullness is to put God right there in the center. Fear God, he says. Make God your object of ultimate concern. Because we were made for God. Blaise Pascal put it this way, there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him. Money, sex, you know, family, everything. But he says this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, by God himself. Kohelth would say God has put eternity in your heart. God has put in your heart a vacuum that only God himself can fill. And if you want to live a meaningful life, you put God at the center of it. Orbit your life around your sole object of fulfillment and meaning. And so often we are tricked uh, into putting things that that are are there as gifts, right? We're we're tricked into making them our sole object of, of consumption, uh, you know, we, my family in, in our house, we eat pretty healthy, but, um, and we, you know, whole foods and good food and not all that much sugar. We don't do keto, but we do, uh, we eat really healthy, natural. And um, I, I didn't always eat like this. I used to eat Taco Bell almost every day. Literally, truly, truly, I did. And uh, maybe that's why I'm so short. I grew up on that stuff and it didn't nourish me. But here's the thing about Taco Bell. Right? It, it, it makes you fat but leaves you empty. Right? There's no there, there. There's no substance in that food. You've got to nourish your, if you're going to grow, if you're going to be healthy, if you're going to be vibrant, you've got to eat real food. And so often we are consuming things in this life. We are, we are our sole diet, our, our objects of ultimate pursuit and concern are things that are not going to nourish us ultimately. You've got to feed on God. You've got to make him the center of your life if you want to live a life of meaning. Everything, your family, your career, uh, you know, achievement, money, all of it needs to orbit around God who is the sun. If your life under the sun is going to have meaning and purpose. He says, fear God. Are you doing that? want to live a life of purpose? Fear God. But second of all, what is the second thing he tells us to do? He says, here is the end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God. And secondly, he says, keep his commandments. If you want to live a life of meaning and purpose and significance, if you want to live a life of substance, here's the way, he says, live a life where you prioritize keeping God's commandments. Value what God values. Love what God loves. Submit yourselves to, to God's way in this world. And that is the way to live a life of substance and significance. Not only do you need to put God at the center, but you need to prioritize God's commandments. Are you doing that? Right? Are you, are you, do you know what God wants from you, and are you obeying his commandments? This is a way into a life of meaning. Now, earlier in the book, Koheleth, uh, he, he, this was one of the things that frustrated him. He says, Here's the problem. He says, I, you know, I, I try hard to obey God's commandments. And I try hard, I've worked hard to be very, very wise, to figure out what God wants me to do and to do those things diligently. But he says, the problem is that doesn't seem to pay because the wicked so often get ahead in this life, right? And, and, and so often, you know, th- those people that are kind and generous get stepped on in this dog-eat-dog world. And so he's frustrated. Why should I obey God's commandments if God's commandments don't seem to pay in this life? And here's the answer at the very end He says, Keep God's commandments not because they will pay in this life, keep God's commandments because they are the way to find meaning. Keeping God's commandments may not make you rich, keeping God's commandments may not lead you into a life of ease. In fact, look at the life of Jesus. Keeping God's commandments led him into a life of suffering and hardship. But keeping God's commandments will always 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 lead you into a life of meaning and purpose. And why is that? It's because because God's commandments are not arbitrary rules. God's commandments are a reflection of God's very nature. God says do not lie because God doesn't lie. God says, you know, do not steal because God is a God of integrity. God's commandments are are a reflection of God's very nature and you were made in the image of God and therefore God's commandments are a reflection of your very nature. And when you keep God's commandments, you are living into the life that you were made for. And in this dog-eat-dog world, keeping God's commandments may not make you rich or lead you into a life of ease, but it will always lead you into a life of meaning. So he says, keep God's commandments. Live a life of obedience, of, of kindness and generosity because this is a life that matters in the long run. And you know this, don't you? We all know, she knows that. We we all know this, don't we? Don't we that that a life of obedience, a, a life that 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 is that's moral and that's ethical, is always a life of substance and weight. I was listening to an interview with Lady Gaga yesterday, and it, she was on the Colbert Stephen Colbert show, and, and she was talking about her latest movie, A Star Is Born. And uh, it's it's a it's a fascinating movie because Lady Gaga, um, I mean, she just. She looks normal in the movie, right? She she's got no makeup, you know, it's her normal hair color. And she was saying that, she said, the only reason why I did this movie is because I was inspired. And she starts talking about Bradley Cooper, who both starred and produced the film. And she she said, The thing about Bradley Cooper is she said he is an incredible human being. She said, number one, he came and he believed in me. And she said, he is such a man of kindness. And he's, he's honest, and she says, if you know anything about Hollywood, she said, that is so rare in Hollywood to have a person who is honest and ethical and kind. But doesn't that sound a lot like keeping God's commandments? And he, even out of the, the mouth of Lady Gaga, and when Lady Gaga and the Bible agree, it must be right, right? <laughs> right? Live a life, of, pay attention to God's commandments, Morality always leads to meaning. Do not throw off God's commandments because it will always lead you to an empty, uh, cotton candy sort of life. So he says, keep God's commandments. And one of the problems in this book is that, you know, when you get rid of when you get rid of meaning, when you get rid of God, and when you get rid of God's commandments, you, know, you, you gain a sort of freedom, but it's the, at the cost of meaning. There's a great quote by um, Aldous Huxley. And Aldous Huxley, he, he describes how he went to college. And like many college students, he threw off all the rules. He wanted freedom. He wanted to do what he wanted to do, right? And so he says, uh, he says and so I became an atheist so I could do this. And this is how he describes it. He says, look, I got some freedom, but it was at the loss of meaning. He said, I had motives for not wanting the world to have a meaning. And consequently assumed that it had none and was able without any difficulty to find satisfying reasons for this assumption. But the philosopher who finds no meaning in the world is not concerned exclusively with a problem in pure metaphysics. He is also concerned to prove that there is no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. For myself, as no doubt, for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom. He says, I went away to college. I got rid of God. I got rid of his commandments so that I could do what I wanted, and I was absolutely free, but at what cost? When I got rid of God's commandments, my life became aimless. And if you want to live a life of meaning and purpose and substance and significance, this looks like a, a moral life, a life where you are paying attention to the God who made you. Right? God wrote the instruction manual for the human because he made the human. He knows how you should live. And so he says, keep his commandments. And then he says, for this is the whole duty of man. Uh, translated there, this is, uh, the verse literally says, for this is the whole of man. Keep God's commandments for th- because this is the whole of man. This is the way to wholeness. Right, when you obey God's commandments, you find yourself and you find reality. When you ignore God's commandments and you lie and you cheat and you steal and you commit adultery, you, you lose yourself. And just like the prodigal son, he was, he was lost until he came to his senses and he found himself by understanding that God's commandments are the way to live a full life. So he says, here's what I want you to do. This is a, the way to a life of meaning. Number one, what, what does he want us to do? Say it, church. Fear God. And then second of all, he says what? Keep his commandments. This is a way into significance and substance in life. And then finally, he says, for this um, is the whole duty of man, verse 14, for God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. Finally, he says, live, this is the third thing, live in light of God's coming judgment. This is sort of the reason why he wants you to do the first two things. Fear God, keep his commandments. Why? Because there is a judge. There is somebody at the bench. There is a God who's watching. And one day you will stand before your creator who will evaluate your life. He says this is a way to find meaning and significance and purpose is to live in light of God's judgment. Now, in our culture, the idea of judgment is not a very happy thing, right? No, a life of meaning is to live in light of God's judgment. No, you know, when I grew up, you know, we read the Apostles' Creed this morning. We used to say the old English version, which it says, God will come to judge the quick and the dead. And I used to think, you know, here's God at the very end. He's gonna judge everybody and everybody's running away, you know, trying to get away. And he's even gonna get the quick ones, you will not go to Barnes & Noble and see, and go to the spirituality section. You know, you've got chicken soup for the soul, you know, and God's love for the soul. You will never see judgment day for the soul, right? Because in, in our view, God's judgment is sort of a fearful, um, uncomfortable uh, thing that we, we don't like. But here's what, here's what the teacher says. He says, the fact that God will judge, the fact that at the very end we will stand before our creator and he will evaluate our lives, this is something that gives life incredible meaning, direction, and purpose. Because number one, it says that all the ev- ev- evildoers that are getting away with things in this life they are going to, they're going to stand before God. You know, earlier in the book, he says, it's not fair that wicked people get ahead. It's not fair oppression and injustice. And here he says, but but listen, they may get away with it now, but there is a God, there is a bench. He will judge this world, and that is good news for the oppressed. But it's also good news for you. Because what it means is that everything that you do in this life matters, ultimately. Every move you, you make Every step you take, (laughs) he'll be watching you. (laughs) Remember Joseph, uh, Old Testament story of Joseph, and he's he's in Potiphar's house. He's away from his family. He was away from his country. He was away from his his everything that all his culture and everything. If anybody had a reason to be a nihilist, it was him. But there in Potiphar's house, when nobody else is watching. A Potiphar's wife comes in and propositions him for an affair. He says, "No. Why?" He says, "How could I do this before the eyes of God?" God is watching. God is paying attention, and one day God will judge. This will judge. This gives every little tiny thing that you do in this life incredible meaning. Everything matters if God's going to judge. And if there isn't a judge, this means that life is aimless and meaningless. There's a, there's a stunning little uh, uh, monologue in, the, in that old play After the Fall um, by Arthur Miller. And uh, it's, th- this play is sort of, a, it's an autobiographical play about Ar- Arthur Miller himself and his affair with Marilyn Monroe, which subsequent, subsequently led to her, her suicide. But there's this, this moment in the play where he starts thinking about God's judgment. And the... the um, The main character, Quentin, says this. He says, "'For many years I looked at life like a case at law. "'It was a series of proofs. "'When you're young, you prove how brave you are or smart. "'Then what a good lover, then a good father. "'Finally, how wise or powerful. "'But underlying it all, "'I see now that there was a presumption, "'that one moved on an upward path "'towards some elevation where God knows what. "'I would be justified or even condemned, "'a verdict anyway,' I think now that my disaster really began when I looked up one day and the bench was empty. No judge in sight. And all that remained was the endless argument with oneself, this pointless litigation of existence before an empty bench, which of course is another way of saying despair. Sounds like Ecclesiastes, doesn't it? The endless litigation of existence. Why? Because in his mind, there's no bench, there's no judge. But here Ecclesiastes ends and says, no, there is a bench and there is a judge and there is a God who is watching every moment. And what that means is that every moment matters. Whether people see it or not, whether it's rewarded in this life or not, every good deed, every bad deed will be evaluated by your creator. And this gives life meaning. Live before the bench. Live in light of the coming judgment. Three things. He says, I've spent 11 and a half chapters showing you that life is cotton candy if you live it for this world. But here's the way to live a meaningful life. Here's here's, Here's a way into a life of substance and significance. Fear God. Put him at the center of your life. Keep his commandments. They're the way to make you whole. And three, live in light of the bench. I don't want to end there because I think that, I don't know that this satisfies us, ultimately. Because at the end of the day, like if this is it, you know, there's, there's a judge, he's going to judge you. Do what's right, fear God, go do it. I think for many of us, we may know that this is the way to a life of substance, but knowing it and doing it are two different things, isn't it? You may, you may know that there's cotton candy over here and then there's substance over here, but why do you keep on choosing this instead of that? As, as I was studying for the sermon yesterday, I was in the office and I was walking by, I was downstairs, I was walking up and down the hall pacing, which is what I do when I study. And I kept on walking by this room that was filled with Halloween candy, which you guys have provided for our church. And I was walking back and forth, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know back and forth, and I would just kind of look in the room and see the candy, and I was thinking, I know that that candy is bad for me. Oh, I know it's bad. I know it's empty. I know I'm going to eat it, and it's gone, and it's vapor, and it doesn't satisfy. I'm going to go home and eat chicken instead. Yes, I am. You know. And so I kept on walking back and forth, but knowing and doing is a different thing. I walked right into that room, and, and, and even right on in front of the candy was a big sign that said, please do not eat candy. <laughs> but I ate it. I'm sorry, Tara. She wrote the sign. And I ate not one, but two, maybe three uh, Hershey's Kisses. And then I might have had a little bag of M&M's. You see, knowing and doing are different things, aren't they? And you may know, here's a life of, life of substance, and here's how not to chase after vanity. And yet, why do we go back and choose vanity again and again and again? And what's the way out? Well, as, as so many commentators say, that the, the, the book of Ecclesiastes raises questions that are only answered in Jesus. And there's a story of a woman at the well. Remember this, Jesus spoke to a woman at the well, a woman who is chasing vanity. And he begins to talk to her about living water, a life of substance, a life of meaning, living water. And she says, sir, I want this water. I want it. I want it. And then he says, great, go get your husband. It's like, what? Go get my husband. She says, I don't even have a husband. He says, you're right. You've, You've had five, and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Why would Jesus do that? He was saying, here's the living water. It's what you've been looking for in men that you haven't been able to find. And you keep on going back. You've done it five times. And now you're about to do it again. I'm telling you there's another way of living. Life is found in me, and Jesus goes after her, and he goes after us. Because ultimately, we need to be saved. We need to be saved out of our propensity to choose vanity. And Jesus Christ comes to this woman and he says, Listen, I have come to forgive you and to, to enable you to, to choose obedience. I've come into this world to, to die on the cross and, and to open up a way for you to come in and have a life-giving, full relationship with, with God through me. You could put God at the center. And I have come as the judge to be judged for you on the cross. On the cross, the judge was judged for us. And he opens the door and he says, come, I invite you in to a life of significance and substance and meaning. And so the book of Ecclesiastes leaves us with a question. Jesus invites us in. And so many of us are pursuing things that are leaving us malnourished. And he says, put me at the center. I've opened the door. I've invited you in. I've forgiven your sins. I've been judged so that you might be justified. Now come in. I will forgive you. Come in and drink deeply of the living water because everything matters and the way to live a life of substance is to fear God, keep his commandments and live in light of the judgment because we don't have to fear the judgment anymore. Let's pray. Father, we we, we come to you this morning, and, and this, this book, uh, for me, God, I, f- I feel like it almost created a midlife crisis. <laughs> but, fa- but Father, it shows us the vanity of our pursuits, th- these ultimate pursuits that we go on, and it tells us the truth that truly our our deepest needs are satisfied when we put you at the center of our lives. We thank you for Jesus who who came into this world who who died for us and who invites us into you, to your life uh, to know you to follow you to trust you and God I pray that we might be a people that live full significant lives